ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of That's Entertaining. This episode, we will be discussing the culmination of the last 10 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Avengers Endgame. And to join me on this journey is a returning member, Mr. Stephen Waldinger. Welcome back, sir. Oh, well, thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. So happy. So excited. Hello, everybody. Good to have you back on, sir. And joining us for his first time in the That's Entertaining Arena. You know, because arena, stadiums, stadiums, whatever. Anyway, is one Mr. Jared. Welcome to the welcome to the, uh, the podcast, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and geek out some more about Endgame for the first time on a podcast talking about Endgame. And I'm hot off of my second viewing, so Ooh. I'm ready to go. But I do got to say that talking to you a little bit before we got started, you really know how to turn it on. You just went from like, <laughs> hey, this is a casual conversation to <laughs> Mr. Radio Voice. <laughs> oh, don't worry that the radio voice drops out really quick, so it's for the intro. <laughs> but so before we dive into the nuts and bolts of this movie, let's talk a little bit about the experiences that we had watching the film and the you know, the theaters, the, was it sold out, this and that. So I'll, I'll kind of kick that off because I saw it on opening night. The first episode showing was at six o'clock here, which is kind of early a little bit. But, uh, so I went to that showing, there was a six thirty that some other friends were going to at the theater that has the reclining seats, but I wanted to see it at six o'clock and I wanted to see it in IMAX. So that's the one I went to that showing. My first showing was sold out and when I bought my tickets, it was when they first went on sale, and even then, the theater was halfway sold out, that first like couple hours that they went on sale. So I knew this showing would be pretty packed out, and the nice thing is that you know it's going to be packed out with the fans, the, the ones who are going to be cheering, who are going to be you know, into the movie like you are. And that's one of the reasons why I love seeing movies when they, when they release, that first opening night, because you're with that crowd. Uh, you don't get that experience you know, going a week or two later, right? It's mostly just like people just sitting there watching. Mm-hmm, that's a good movie, whatever. But when you're in there with the first opening crowd, you're like, yes, here! you know, the things happen and you're excited. Which, by the way, I should say, if if it's not already written on some sort of note somewhere, spoilers abound in this episode. So if you have not yet seen Avengers Endgame, uh, you, you may not want to travel too much farther because things might be said or dropped because... It's going to happen. So, uh, that was my first showing. It was really, you know, the crowd was in it. Sold out showing. I had tons of fun just watching this film for the first time. Uh, I did end up seeing it two more times after that. I saw it the next day uh, for a work function. And that was kind of cool because most people were there just for, you know, because they were able to go during work hours and it was paid for by a, a corporate event, but um, they were still able to see it for the first time, a lot of them. So that was pretty cool. They were still into it. Uh, a lot of the beats and stuff they, they reacted to, but not as much as the, as the core fans the night before. And then I saw it a few days later on a Tuesday, which was um, also a sold-out showing for the IMAX showing. Me and my wife went. So... I, you know it's a movie that I like if I end up taking my wife to it. So there's a little little hint. <laughs> and uh, we really enjoyed that. There were people that were, again, 
shouting at the screen at different points and having fun. There was a baby that I heard, so it wasn't quite the same audience as that first night, but you know, it was uh, it was enjoyable to have the fans in there again listening and watching to the movie. Uh, and that, again, like I said, was sold out, and the showing after that was also sold out. So lots of sold-out showings on my neck of the woods. Uh, Jared, how about yours? What was your experience like? Uh, was it sold out? When was the first showing that you went to? Um, <clears throat> I didn't go... Well, I mean, I guess technically I went opening night. So I went Friday, the Friday that it opened, which was technically opening day. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they always have the early showings the Thursday night, night before. Mm -hmm. So I went Friday. Um, I usually go Friday's opening day just because I don't I have to work really early the next day. And I knew this movie was like three hours long. And so I didn't want to have to deal with that. Um, But, yeah, I bought I wake up at like four, four thirty in the morning Mm -hmm. for work. And I remember waking up and seeing the tweet that the tickets had gone um, on sale for pre-order. Bought the tickets at my preferred theater. It's got the recliner seats as well. It's got a little table that slides out. You can put all your food and snacks and everything. The screen, the screen and the sound is, in my opinion, better than IMAX, at least the theater that I go to. Um, so I prefer it than just going to IMAX. Um, when I bought my tickets, it wasn't it wasn't sold out at that time because mm-hmm. I, I bought them maybe an hour or two after, but it was sold out when I got there. You know, there we got there maybe twenty minutes early because it's all you know you pick your seats, so it doesn't right. really matter when you show up. Um, but there was still people lined up waiting to get into the theater, and it, it filled up immediately. Um, but yeah, it was it was a good crowd. There weren't any talkers or or babies or any distractions. It was just. <laughs> It was just people who were there to enjoy the movie, mm-hmm. and the crowd was very respectful for every moment. Um, a lot of the big moments, especially that big moment at the end, um, everyone was silent. There was no murmuring or talking or anything. It was just watching it all happen. So it was a really good um, first experience. My second experience that I just had now um, wasn't as good because I just went to my local theater, which is half the price, but it's also half the experience. Um, (laughs) But since I had already seen it, I didn't really care. I just kind of enjoyed it. I ended up having to move about 10 minutes in because I was sitting next to this couple that were like just very talky. You could tell that they were not necessarily Marvel fans and they Mm -hmm. were just coming to see it because it's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they were were sitting there and and the very beginning with Hawkeye and his family, when the daughter disappeared, they were like, What's happening? Where did she go? <laughs> is he dreaming or is he hallucinating? <laughs> and they were very loud about their talking, so I ended up moving. Mm-hmm. But after that, the experience was good. It was it was nice to know what happens and just to embrace the movie for what it was. Right. Did you act like you were getting like a refill of popcorn or something, or did you just like blatantly move? <laughs> no, I just I waited until the um, the little Marvel logo thing pops up with all the. Mm-hmm all the scenes and everything. And as soon as that popped up, I just grabbed my popcorn and my drink and I got up and I walked to, to a new seat, like three rows of, of, of front. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care if they think that I'm upset. That's they shouldn't funny. be talking during a movie. Yeah. I mean, especially the opening like that. It's one of the things is about this movie kind of different from most of the other Marvel movies is that it kind of just opens with the, you know, the, the events happening and not the logo. Um, yeah. And that did each time I saw the movie, people thought that it was another movie trailer 
instead of the actual movie starting. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were people that were chatting and stuff. I was like, oh, God, stop, shut up, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. when I did see the movie with my wife, by the way, there was, like, a lady sitting right next to me that was, like, you know, hadn't taken a shower in, like, three days or something. So, <laughs> I, I, since it, there was nowhere for us to go, so we just kind of endured it. But, anyway, sorry. Sorry, so, Stephen, uh, <laughs> what about you? What was your experience like? How many times have you seen the movie so far? I've only seen the movie once so what? far. Once, yes. <laughs> I spent all my free time watching Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, as you know, <laughs> Onto, that's entertaining. I wrote about it way back when. Mm-hmm. But um, no, yeah, um, my friend uh, Liz and I saw it. We saw it Friday. Um, we did not buy like tickets like right when they came out. They we waited a good several days, and then we finally coordinated about getting the tickets. So because we waited, we didn't get to go to. I think ideally she probably would have picked like an, either an IMAX or a 3D or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, we. Because we wanted to see it, you know, as soon as possible. The best thing deal we got was uh, just a regular, you know, normal screening at AMC. With uh, we were third row, which eh, that's acceptable. Um, I don't want to. Uh, obviously, don't want to sit first row if you can avoid it. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, yeah, third row worked okay. Um, and the theater, I believe it was one of those like sporting event sellouts where. It's an it's an official sellout, but there's still like empty seats because I think I noticed like the whole front row was basically like unoccupied. So I think either people you know bought them or, and didn't you know, and then they're like, oh, they changed their mind or something like that, or mm-hmm. um, just figured, ah, eh, well, uh, we'll screw, it. we'll do something else. But um, yeah, from what I know, when I I saw. It looked like the front row was open, but then I didn't, you know, obviously stop paying attention after a certain point. So they might have just came late. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, and the, the crowd was a, a lot of fun. They were very into the movie. A uh, lot of cheers when everybody made their returns in, uh, you know, post undoing the snap or the snap part two, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I think that should just be the subtitle for this movie, Avengers, the snap part two. <laughs> there you go. The snapping. <laughs> yes. Unsnapped. So, when we get when you guys saw this, when when the screen went dark, or not the screen, but like you know, the audience went dark and everything, did people cheer? Like, were they excited to to watch the movie enough that they actually cheered or clapped when the lights just went down and dimmed down? Um, not in my theater because the theater that I go to, they they put the lights down when the previews start. Hmm. And with this movie, since there's no there's no production logo or anything, it just it goes from trailer to the first moments with Hawkeye and his family. So you know everybody was intent on watching it. So there was there was not really any chance for them to um, cheer. There weren't cheers um, in my audience. There weren't cheers like right when it went dark. But then once people saw Hawkeye, there were some claps and some people went, "Yo, Hawkeye, woo!" Um, <laughs> I'm curious if some of those claps were for his daughter, who, when in, when they initially showed that trailer of of him and his daughter, people thought that was Kate Bishop, who is the other Hawkeye in the Marvel Universe in the comics. I um, so I think I wonder if some of those claps were for her, thinking she was Kate Bishop, but um, she was not. As we saw moments later, she was not actually Kate Bishop, but still, it was cool to see female Hawkeye in the movie. 
Mm-hmm. Well, he did color Hawkeye once, so you know. Yes, exactly. Marvel likes to take <clears throat> some liberties, the MCU liberties, you know, scrolls and all that. <laughs> so for for my theater, when it when lights went down low, they they clapped right before the movie started. Um, because there's like some sort of little title card thing that they put up there, like, this is the cinema, welcome to my cinema, blah, blah, thing. And then after that, it's, the movie starts. But they also clapped. I forgot that there was a, there was a Star Wars trailer that they clapped for, <laughs> too. So in that Lucasfilm mm-hmm. logo came on the screen where people were clapping. So these people are obviously also Star Wars fans, uh, and so these are my people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so... I was super excited because each time that I, I saw the movie, well, the two times that I saw it uh, in the actual movie theater that I'd like, people were clapping. They were ready to go. But speaking of ready to go, are you guys ready to actually dive into this movie? Yep. Yep. Got the snorkel on. Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. So movie opens up with Hawkeye in that scene in his family. Uh, what do you think of this, this, this opening scene where we actually get a little bit more of Hawkeye at, at the farm? We, we get the answer now of where he was because throughout the whole Infinity War, people are like, well, where's this guy? Uh, what'd you think of the opening? Uh, let's go, Steven. Uh, it was a, it was a good opening. I like seeing Hawkeye with his family. Um, always good to see Linda Cardinelli. She's a great actress, uh, you know, freaks and geeks. Um, she was fantastic in that. And yeah, they just, you, they showed the ankle bracelet briefly, you know, a little tie into Ant-Man and the Wasp because that's why, uh, Scott Lang wasn't in, we didn't see him in Avengers because of that ankle bracelet. So Hawkeye had the same one, which also ties back into Captain America. So it's nice to see that little continuity flow going. So yeah, yeah, it was, uh, and yeah, just, even though I knew it wasn't Kate Bishop, it was so cool to see Hawkeye interacting with female Hawkeye. So yeah, just that opening scene was the perfect way to start the movie, I thought. Now, Jared, do you put mayo on your hot dogs? Um, I have. It's pretty good. Really? Yeah. I've never had that. <laughs> it, it's it's. I won't do it by itself, but it's good with the ketchup and the mustard. Kind of like it's basically it just turns into a hamburger at that point. <laughs> really, like it's a very similar flavor. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so aside from mayo on hot dogs, what do you think of this opening scene? I liked it, and I liked it more the second time. Um, you just see a lot of details, like the 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 ankle bracelet. Mm-hmm. Um, it was for me. It was just sort of heartbreaking because, like, as as soon as it pops up and and you see Clint with his daughter and you see the family in the background, you just you know what's about to happen, mm-hmm. and you're just you're wondering, you know, how it's it's going to happen. Um, and I thought it was well done that. He didn't see them, like, turn to Ash, like, right in front of him. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just sort of turns around, and his daughter's gone. And then he turns back around, and his the rest of his family is gone. So he's just very confused and, and running around, kind of, and wondering what's happened to them. Where are they? He doesn't notice, like, at least they don't make any indications that he's noticing the, the dust floating in the air. Um, but it was a very, very somber intro to what's happening because he ultimately ultimately plays a pretty big role in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was cool because his, his his character has always been interesting in the Avengers movies but never never like a focal point and it was nice to kind of see him quote unquote redeemed mm-hmm. and sort of given him given the screen time he deserves and, and really setting up his motivation especially for the things that happen further on in the movie. Right. 
It was nice because the last time that we saw Hawkeye, I think, was in Age of Ultron. Uh, or no, he sorry, he was in Civil War. Civil War, yeah. Yeah, so he was in there for a brief bit because that's why he got thrown in the raft. But mm-hmm. we saw his family, you know, in that first one, and his wife was pregnant in, in Avengers Age of Ultron, and we, we got introduced to this whole farm place. So it's kind of cool seeing that come back full circle, uh, seeing that brought back into the... Uh, to MCU again, and then also mm-hmm. seeing the uh, Nate, you know, I'm kind of partial to that name, but uh, being a little bit older <laughs> this time, so that was like what he was looking. He was like five years older, maybe at this point, maybe four. Um, yeah, but really well done. You know, like the the shots there where he turns around to get the the arrow, his daughter's gone. He turns around again, the family's gone, and as us as Marvel people, we know what happens and this instantly tells us what time frame it is too so this is just the time where Thanos had snapped the gauntlet and everybody else was turned to ash and all of a sudden his whole family is gone Thanos mm-hmm. takes everything away from him uh, and you see yeah. like you said very somber and when you realize what was happening and the people were uh, gone and he was running around looking for him there was a, that thunderous sound Mm-hmm. As that music started to play, uh, yeah, very, it's very, you know, puts you right back into the feeling of how you felt when Endgame, or sorry, when Infinity War ended. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, it's interesting. A interesting point about the thunder is I was I was noticing because um, before they go through, uh, before they get into you know really the meat of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's the first scenes where everybody's just sort of dealing with what's happened. You hear that thunder in the background pretty mm-hmm. much the entire time, especially if you're in a theater with bass. You mm-hmm. can just kind of feel it, and it really sets the tone. Yeah. Really, the sound design all across this movie was fantastic. By the way, the score in this movie, oh my god, was it good. Um, I've been listening to a specific song, The Portals. It's called Portals. Like so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, off the soundtrack. Oh, oh, so good. So so good. In fact, if if you're wondering what song that is, that will be the intro music to this episode. So uh, you already know <laughs> what it is now. Um, so continuing on, that snap happens. We get the Marvel logo, and then we have that that music. Which I forgive me, I don't know what the name of the song was, but it was tonally a song that would fit into both sequences. Right? You have a a person who had just lost his family, and then you have a person who is about to lose everything, like his life, um, who is resigned to the fact that he's most likely going to die within 20 hours because uh, the oxygen is going to run out in the ship. But we see Tony and we see Nebula um, playing a little game of, uh, would you just call it football or field goal? or What's the actual name of that game? I call that game paper football. Paper football? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I've always called it. I, I've never called it anything. I just kicked it. With my fingers. I never know. <laughs> uh, but it was cool seeing them together and kind of just bonding a little bit. And the scene where, you know, he's recording his message to Pepper and he's like, I just got to rest my eyes and lay down for a little bit. And that I thought it was going to go a different way. That he puts, or Nebula puts him in, in that seat, kind of puts him up there. And the way that she did it and the way that she looked at him, I thought that she was going to do something that was like, 
she's going to sacrifice herself to get him home. Um, I kind of got that feeling a little bit the first time I saw it because just, I don't know what it was, but did you guys get anything like that from, from her when she put him in the seat? No, I, I didn't think she was going to do anything, but I honestly wasn't sure if he was still alive. (laughs) If maybe he just sort of passed away and then he was going to pop up back in the movie, um, later on with whatever it was that they were going to do. Um, but I, I think it really shows her humanity mm-hmm. that she's starting to get back and that she's actually, like, taking care of him. Mm-hmm. Steven, yeah, maybe, what... like, a next arc um, from going from all the Guardians of the Galaxy movies to this. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, yeah, really good arc for her. I didn't think anything like the, like, like you mentioned, Nate, was going to happen, but... I, I knew this wasn't the end for them. It was just a matter of, huh, I wonder how they get back. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, hey, there's Captain Marvel. Right. Yeah, Captain Marvel makes the entrance there. And if you did not see Captain Marvel, and at the end, the little stinger there was her responding to the little pager thing that Nick Fury sent out at the end of Infinity War. So it was kind of cool, a piece of continuity between those two movies, uh, whereas... She would have responded to that, and then they said, hey, Tony Stark's missing. Can you go find him? She starts mm-hmm. to go out and look for him. That was kind of cool. Um, did you guys catch the, the blueberries reference to uh, – Tony was offering the blueberries to uh, Nebula, but she turned them – you know, she gave them back to him because she obviously didn't need food. Uh, that's a callback to the first Avengers movie when he offers blueberries to Banner and to Thor, I think it was, too. <laughs> oh, no. I missed that. So there are all kinds of little Easter eggs and callbacks in this movie because this movie, by the way, in my opinion, touches on every MCU movie, like every one. It, it brings it in to, to give it a little, little bit of a homage, if, if nothing else, to each one. Um, mm-hmm. So Captain Marvel comes. She's, she sees Tony, smiles, and takes him home. The first words out of Tony's mouth when he lands is I lost the kid. He's been floating around in space. He's been, you know, almost dying because of running out of the oxygen and everything else. He lands on Earth. His first question isn't where's Pepper. His first question isn't, you know, about something else about Thanos. It's I lost the kid. Just kind of shows you where his mindset is. Steven, as a Spider-Man fan, how does that make you feel? I think it, it really shows that it's not just a one-way relationship between Peter and Tony in the movies. Because some of the, like about two-thirds of Homecoming, it definitely felt like it was very one-sided. You know, Peter worships Tony, but Tony's kind of meh. And then Tony came around, you know, obviously on on Peter, but even still, it didn't feel like they, like he viewed him the way he does in that, like he, in that sentence you just stated. Because like most of Infinity War, he's trying, he's trying. It felt like Infinity War. He's kind of viewing Peter as like a, he, like he wasn't ready for this. Which I mean, to be fair, he's a kid, and these these are situations that a kid shouldn't have to be in. But um, he's still treated. I, I feel like in two thirds of Infinity War, he wasn't uh, on board with Peter being there, not just because he's a kid, but just because he's. I don't know. He could he could hinder him basically, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Then the relationship got earned, 
throughout Infinity War. And yeah, just seeing the toll that it took on Tony was, was um, I, I thought, very, very well done. Yeah. Learned. Jared, what did you think of Tony's arrival back on Earth? Um, I liked it. It was it was very, again, just very mood setting. They did such a good job with making you just sort of feel what they are feeling, which is difficult to do when you're dealing with aliens and mm-hmm. space magic and people wearing <laughs> nanotech suits of armor. Um, but yeah, they they really they really sell that relationship between Tony and Peter. And I, I'm also a giant Spider-Man fan. He's Yay. my favorite. He's always been my favorite. Right on. <laughs> um, but yeah, just when when Tony gets off off the ship and he sees Cap, and he just looks at him and he just says, "We lost. I lost the kid." Like it's just, yeah, that whole moment. It, and when he sees Pepper mm-hmm. for the first time, he doesn't even know if she's alive or not. Mm-hmm. And and and. And back to um, him losing Peter, he must feel responsible for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he tends to, we saw that in Iron Man 3, um, he tends to put a lot of what happens on his own shoulders. Like he should have been better. He should have been strong enough to stop whatever was happening. Age of Ultron um, really instilled that. Yeah, especially when there's there's a moment in Infinity War you know, they, they kind of make it like a joke, but you can tell Tony kind of takes it seriously where Peter, he's like, well, this is your fault because you made this suit for me and it's so intuitive and I stayed on the ship. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can tell he takes that to heart. And instead of turning back to Earth and dropping off Peter, he takes him with him to mm-hmm. fight Thanos. Like he it's not just about losing this person that he's close to, but losing everyone and, and feeling responsible for it. Like he should have some, done something beforehand to stop this. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll see later on that this relationship with Peter really is like the, the thing that makes him want to be reinvolved later on. Because what we find out now is that he's, and by the way, did he look emaciated to you guys? Like he actually looked, Tony looked like he was like, unhealthy <laughs> when he was yeah. uh, brought back there did you guys yeah, see he was definitely because they were on the verge of death up there mm-hmm. yeah he went what like 21 23 days or something you know with with barely any food and water mm-hmm. yeah but he was he was definitely a lot he was like half his body weight it looked like right and he was he had to get a little iv drop in there and you know they said something about banner had to put him in a uh knock him out for a day or so but we then get Captain Marvel. No, she's part of this this team ish thing now. She's come down because Nick Fury sent the the message, but she was too late to save him. But now she's there. She wants to go find Thanos and just take care of business. What do you guys think of the introduction to Captain Marvel in with the rest of the team? You know, the team that's all about that superhero life. Uh, Jared, what do you think of that? Um, I liked it. It it wasn't, they didn't try to like force her into this, like, oh, she's part of the Avengers now. You know, she was still very much her own person who understands that there's a bigger universe outside of just Earth and the Avengers. 
And all she cares about is getting revenge on Thanos because her friend Nick Fury is dead. Mm-hmm. And I, and I liked I liked the scene when they're showing all the all the people that have been they're like scrolling through all the people that have died. Mm-hmm. And it, it shows Peter Parker and you see Tony look at the picture and he kind of gets teary eyed and looks away. Uh, the same thing happens with um, Captain Marvel when she sees Nick Nick Fury on the monitor. She gets teary eyed and look away. So you see all these reactions of these people as they're watching these faces go by on the screen that all these people are missing or, or dead. Mm-hmm. Steven, they introduced Captain Marvel in and a rocket raccoon as a Build-A-Bear. What do you think of, of this scene? <laughs> I would so get a Captain Marvel rocket raccoon Build-A-Bear. That would be <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's a fun relationship. Yeah, Captain Marvel is, you know, very... She's... Her, she does a lot of space adventures, so she's uh, come in contact with the Guardians of the Galaxy on numerous occasions. So, yeah, it's co- co- fun seeing that translation make its way from the comics to the uh, movie here. Um, and, yeah, that was just really cool. She just, that's Carol. She wants to uh, just kick butt and take names. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of, they they discover that he's on a, a garden. You know, he has his retirement plan that he wants to go and uh, just garden things after the snap happens. So, they figure out where he's at. They take a spaceship, and, you know, this is the first time up for Rhodey, Black Widow, and Captain America. So, Rocket's just like, don't throw up in my ship type thing. It's kind of funny, little line. Uh, but they get there, and it's just Thanos. And he's he's there picking some sort of fruit. And did, did it look like, look like to you that the glove had welded on into, like, his fused with his body? It looked like it was, like, fused to his body to me. Did you guys see that? Yeah. I, I just thought it was, like... Yeah, the the burns got a lot worse. Is all I I thought. I didn't I didn't know I didn't think it was fused, but I could see that interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, it was definitely it must have been stuck because I feel like he probably would have taken it off because mm-hmm. you see it you see it kind of like almost welded to his arm at the the very last scene of Infinity War when he's mm-hmm. sitting in that hut. <clears throat> yeah. To me, when I saw that there, obviously you saw that it was the burns had gotten worse, and uh, you you get the explanation a little bit later that he'd snapped his fingers again to destroy the stones. But that glove was definitely like fused on there; like he could not take that thing off. Mm-hmm. So he kind of hears something and then gets smacked down by Captain Marvel as she comes in to grab him to undo what he did, and we get the scene there with with him with Banner. Captain America, Black Widow, and War Machine, I think, was there, right? So mm-hmm. when we see that scene kind of play out, were you surprised at all by, by Thor's actions, Steve? Um, I was surprised just in general by that whole scene. I was like, holy crap, they're getting to the Thanos fight like right away? I thought they would kind of stretch this out for a little bit. Um, but it did... Um, Thor's actions didn't really surprise me. I mean, we're tra- we're conditioned that superheroes don't kill, but it it felt you could feel where Thor was coming from with what he did. Um, I you can make the argument that it was something that if he would have thought about for actually I don't even as an argument if he would have thought about it just for just a few more seconds, it's something he wouldn't have done just because. They need, they could have used Thanos alive to attempt to figure out some sort of way to fix everything, but it's a good callback to Thor because you know, in Ragnarok he 
he had like his ni- his nice character arc from all his movies um, ended in Ragnarok, and he was able to. We saw like the most mature Thor, mature Thor in Ragnarok, but here he gave into his temper, which was I think a very even though he's a he's a god, it's a very human thing to do to give into your your temper because he he took on the, the weight of failing very hard because he he mentioned she should have his line right after he does that is he he went for the head. If he would have went for the head earlier, there wouldn't have been a snap and they wouldn't be in this match. And Thor took that on very, very uh, hard, which uh, makes sense for his character. Right. Jared, when when you saw Stormbringer or Stormbreaker kind of slice through uh, there, what, what, were, what, did you, what were your thoughts? That's the first time we've seen that in the MCU. Yeah, I mean, the whole action of it, um, I don't know. We've I, I went back and watched the first Avengers, and there's some pretty, like, graphic stuff <laughs> in mm-hmm. that one. It's a lot more, like, raw and um, um, in your face, mm-hmm. um, even than this is. But what surprised me the most was just everything that was happening and how fast it was. Cause this is what, like in the first 10 or 15 minutes of the movie, just mm-hmm. they find him, they go there, they lock him down, chop off his arm and then chop off his head. Like you're just like, okay, <laughs> where do we go from here? Like, what is, what is this? And you can just, you can really see, cause it, it gives a shot of, of every single person in that hut. And you can just really see like, the weight of everything that has happened just settling in like mm-hmm. we can't undo this you know it's it's happened it's done the infinity stones are gone we have no chance of bringing anybody back you know it really just kind of sets in that what's done is done mm-hmm. and thanos gives that line i am inevitable mm-hmm. and they just there's so much weight on their shoulders that they they just they're really in disbelief that this is it. We came up here for nothing. Yeah. Were you guys surprised during this movie how big of a part Nebula had? Not really, because she, being Thanos' daughter, it makes sense for her involvement to be where it was. Mm-hmm. and it make, she, That's why she survived the snap, because of being his daughter. So, yeah, I think her involvement made being in the movie as much as she was makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say I was surprised, but I was glad. I like when they develop characters. Yeah. I was kind of wondering if she would have been the one that actually killed him, because that was always kind of her motivation. Uh, remember if you recall back to Ronan killing Thanos, and she said, if you kill Thanos, I will help you conquer like a thousand systems or whatever it was. Um, so I thought that she may have actually been the one to end Thanos at that point. But uh, as we see, it was Thor... And actually, there was a moment there where she kind of like closed Thanos' eyes. Uh, still, you know, that was, you know, his his daughter in a, in a way, in a weird kind mm-hmm. of way. And, you know, she spent a lot of time and actually did try to gain his trust over those years. But, you know, he, she probably realized how terrible of a person he was and everything that he was doing was not that great. So she had that turn in her character arc. So... I was happy to see that she was used in this movie because uh, I've always been a fan of Karen Gillan, or Gillian, uh, the actress that plays her, and I thought that she's done a really good job 
developing her character from Guardians 1 to Guardians 2, and now we see it even more so in gar- in uh, in game now. So really impressed by what that character has been, you know, become now in, in, in game. So now we get to the point where it's five years later. We see Captain America trying to help some people on with their lives. We actually see a cameo of uh, Joe Russo, I think at this point, uh, the one of the directors of the film. And then we see Black Widow talking with Rocket, Rhodey, Captain Marvel, and I can't remember what the guard's name is for Black Panther. What's her name? Yeah, I don't remember her name. Yeah. Same here. And it's played by the actress who's Michonne from Walking Dead. But yeah, I can't think of her character name off the top of my head. Yeah. Uh, I'll just look it up really quick here. She gets the, the good line of, you know, how are we handling this, this disturbance in the ocean? It's like, we handle it by not handling it. <laughs> She's like, it's just an earthquake. What are we supposed to do about it? So we kind of see Nat kind of disheveled, disheveled here in kind of a way. Her her hair's, you know, kind of just grown out and she hasn't kind of taken care of that side of things. She's just kind of trying to piece things together that she can. But when when we see this, this is where Rhodey tells her about Barton. Burton. Burton? Barton. Hawkeye. <laughs> Barton, <laughs> how, yes. Barton. How he, you know, left some people uh you know in a very distinct way in Mexico City. Uh and that this is him and this is kind of what he's become. We know him from the comic books as Ronan when he does this. I don't think they ever really used that term in the movie. I didn't don't remember hearing Ronan, right? Did you guys hear Ronan? I never did, no. You had to know no. the comics to know that he was Ronan, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they ever say that. I mean, that was that's that would be kind of confusing because isn't the bad guy from the first Guardians Ronan? <laughs> that's true. R O N A N versus R O N I N. But yeah, when you speak it only, that's yeah impossible to just to uh, distinct. Mm-hmm. The uh, the character from Black Panther is Akoye. Akoye, yeah. Akoye. That's right. Thank you. So, what do you guys think of of this next scene here? And then when when Captain America finally does come in, uh, the state of the Avengers as we knew them. What do you think of what's taken place over this last five years, Jared? Um, I liked it. It was very you know he Cap comes in and is trying to look on the bright side about mm-hmm. seeing the whales because there's there's less people and the oceans are cleaner and she's like the if you're about to tell me to look if you're about to tell me to look on the bright side i'm about to throw my peanut butter sandwich at your head mm-hmm. um and just seeing her and and just disheveled and, and disarray and and her she gives a little speech about she's never had family until the avengers until um teaming up with all these people to try to fight evil and how this is the only thing she has. Like, she can't, she doesn't want to go out and try to get a normal life or as normal as you can in this world mm-hmm. because, like, this is all she has. Like, if she doesn't continue what they started, you know, what's what's the point? That mm-hmm. she needs to do this. This was also a nice little bit of foreshadowing and character development. When you go back and watch it a second time, you pick up on it more so than the first time, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. So, Stephen, when when you see Black Widow in, in this state, um, what do you think that 
she's given up hope or what do you think that she's really trying to do? And when we see the, the reaction that she has and just wants to believe in Hawkeye still being good, what do you what do you see there? Um, she, her and Hawkeye go way back. I'm bummed that there was, there was rumors at one point of there being like a Hawkeye and Black Widow film. That would have been fascinating to see, I think. Um, but yeah, it never happened. But yeah, they have a, they have a history. So I mean, she's probably, she's been in his, I, I very well could see her being in his exact situation and him being the one to pull her back from that. Mm-hmm. So, um, she, you know, she, she thinks, you know, if anybody can can be redeemed, it'd be him. And if anybody can do it, it could be her. Um, and also, I just like that she's continuing the uh, the fight, mm-hmm. basically. It's basically that's that's her. She, that's all she knows, basically. They never really got too much into her backstory, and I'm not overly overly familiar with with her backstory in the comics. But she basically grew up as a kid in like I believe it's called the Red Room, which is like a mm-hmm. Uh, just basically just trained at a young age to be an assassin. Um, so, yeah, but and so it make perfect sense for her to continue the mission, whereas, you know, we see some people are have moved on, Captain America, um, notably. But, yeah, then uh, that made me wonder about the world in general. Like, I wonder, was there even a need for an Avengers? And we saw that, you know, by them still doing things, yes, there is. But, uh, you know, maybe wonder if the movie could have added a scene, which it didn't need to because it's three hours long. But I didn't notice that length. But if they wanted to add a scene, I would have loved to see just a scene of was Thanos' snap effective? Did our people more? Is it more of a utopian world or did people just ultimately get back to the way things were just minus a whole bunch of people now? Well, we did see the shot of New York city, how the boats were kind of just all kind of huddled around the statue of Liberty. And it was just kind of gray. The Met stadium was empty and, you know, it kind of sounded like they didn't do much sporting anymore. I think, I think that and you know, Thanos said, said something about this later on is that they weren't grateful for what he did. It wasn't a utopia. The people that were left alive only were mourning the people that they lost. So they weren't thinking about what they gained, what they lost and that was causing a lot of depression as we saw you know with cap talking with those uh people there also we definitely saw that depression with natalie and i think just along the movie we we see a lot of that in there so i I don't think it was successful steve i think that it uh, (laughs) didn't didn't quite go the way thanos wanted it to yeah yeah I think, you know, they they still have that hero mentality, so I still think they were trying to do good where they could mm-hmm. and just dealing with what happened rather than spending all of their time trying to reverse it. They were like, "Well, let's just let's just handle the bad things that pop up." Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's as much as they could really do. Yeah, and I think that it's so it's really interesting that we see Captain America kind of in that circle group talking about what they lost because, you know, he was he lost everything himself. You know, when when he went into the ice, he woke up and everything had changed. Nothing was the same and it was all different. So he's been through a similar situation. But this is also poetic, too, because it kind of circles back to when he met the Falcon back in you know Winter Soldier that they were in that support group. And he was looking for um, I think he was looking for Bucky maybe at that point or something. I can't remember. But really kind of just circles back around to that and him trying to be the one to help that person. And I heard someone say that they thought that 
you know, everybody would want to go there because that's where Captain America was. But I was thinking, you know, they have failed. And the public would know that they failed. And you wouldn't necessarily want, or people might necessarily want to be around people that failed like that. So what do you think about that, Stephen? Um, I think it's it's like telling of Cap. Cap is human. Cap, Cap is um, America, basically. And, you know, things, no matter who you are, things don't always go go the way you want them to. And I think just Cap, that's Cap continuing to inspire, basically, is that, hey, this happened to me, too. Um, uh, so, yeah, like, Cap is arguably the most inspirational uh, superhero character there is. Um, one of my favorite scenes, Captain America moments, is in the Maximum Carnage uh, Spider-Man story from the 90s. Yeah, uh, Spider-Man is like at his absolute most downtrodden because like carnage is spreading chaos throughout all of New York, and pe- the people are starting to to turn against him. Spider-Man's you know just reached his breaking point, and then Captain America comes and is like, "Need a hand, son?" And you know instantly that the, that starts to turn the the, the fight back to uh, their uh, you know Spider-Man's way in that storyline. So yeah, just I think seeing Captain America. Um, just dealing with this like everybody else. That's Cap out there doing his his Cap thing, mm-hmm. doing what he can, right? Exactly. So we see uh, Ant Man come back from the the dimension that he was in the, the quantum, quantum dimension. Quantum. Yeah. What uh, What do you think of the little cameo we got there with uh, Was it uh, Ken Jong? No, is that who that was? Uh, the security guard there. Uh, oh yeah. What did you think of when Scott returned? Um, very lucky. <laughs> I <laughs> right. mean, in in the in the one the one scenario where they win, that uh, it was a rat that brought him back mm-hmm. just by chance. Um, but that, that scene was interesting, where he he doesn't. I don't know, maybe the suit was just malfunctioning or, or what it was, but why he didn't just shrink and get out of the cage. You know, why he was asking for the security guard to help him get out. I think he was out of the he was out of the pin particles or he or maybe he, he knew he had limited amounts, so I think he figured if if he didn't have to use them, he, he wouldn't. I I think that's right. Yeah, I was thinking about that, and that maybe he didn't want to waste the pin particles, but he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that they're in limited supply. I'm thinking maybe he just didn't have any with him. And oh, he yeah, went, that makes He sense. went back to whatever lab um, Hank has to get more. But uh, it was it was a good scene. I liked it. They didn't they didn't dwell on it too much. I think the suit had issues because we never see him in that suit later on. We see him in the older Ant Man looking suit um, that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Douglas war. Yeah, because it does all like that sparking and stuff. So right, so it probably think, malfunctions. Yeah, I think when it came back into this timeline, like something probably shorted out in it, and as it kind of tried to reaccumulate to whatever time zone it was in, mm-hmm. maybe possibly I don't know. I don't know how dimensional time travel works. I just mm-hmm. watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think there's a whole lot to say about this scene. It's right. it's pretty quick. I do like how he, you know, we get that scene of the the memorial out by the the, the bridge, and then mm-hmm. he runs and finds Cassie. So it really shows you right away, like, what's on his mind is Cassie, right? That's 
always been his motivation is his daughter. You know, he he wants to be a good father, and, and that carries on through into this movie as well. And then he drives cross country from San Francisco over to presumably upper upstate New York uh, in the in the van. Uh, that must have taken him a while, but he was you know determined to try to find Captain America and see if they could fix things going on and give them the wacky idea of a time machine. So here's the part where we start to get crazy, right? Stephen, what what's your would take on how they explain time travel in this movie? Well, I was not expecting a, ta- a time travel movie to happen in, in this in Endgame. Um, for the most part, it, it makes sense that they um, the way things develop. There are whenever you mess with time travel, though, there's always loopholes that come up. My big one of my biggest ones is the quantum realm itself, because. Um, in Ant-Man and the Wasp, when Janet Van Dyne came out of the quantum realm, she was the age that you would expect for her to be because she was as old as uh, Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. But Scott was gone for five years and didn't age a day. It just makes me question what the, how long the the time, you know, what the time, um, what the ratio time? is there. <laughs> Uh, so that was one of my biggest questions was, Hey, how come Scott was gone five years and didn't age at all? But Janet was gone and from the quantum realm for years and didn't, uh, and she aged normally. So, I mean, I could see it slowing her aging some, but, um, yeah, that was, I think that was the only real thing that, that I immediately had some question with. And then some more stuff come up, came up a little later. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was brought up in the Discord um, about how he he didn't age, but but she did, and I I read an article about it, and it, basically they just kind of said that because even Scott says that time works differently in the quantum realm, where I guess just depending on where you are in the quantum realm, you might mm-hmm. age. Um, maybe where he was, he wasn't aging, and and when we when we see her in Ant Man and the Wasp, she doesn't have a suit on. So maybe she's being affected by the quantum realm more than he would be. Maybe she did some exploring and messed with some sort of time vortex. I mean, who knows? I don't. I don't think it's just hard and fast rules that it, when you go in there, it's like a black hole where you age slower than everyone else does. Right. And I would also think that probably where she was at in the quantum realm, it may not have been the exact place that Scott was anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, he could have been deeper in it, um, but. The concept of time passing into somebody kind of reminds me of you know when they when Scott was a baby and when he was an old man, how in and the wasp she had like some sort of special power almost because of being in the realm, so I think that like it passed through her differently, and mm-hmm. that she probably learned from that experience and safeguarded Scott against having that when he was in the realm. That would be my you know armchair quarterback look at what was going on, <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted to just point out one thing because this, this is where the movie like kind of really starts going. Um, I didn't notice this the first time, but like in all of these scenes where they're just it's the aftermath and everybody's dealing with everything, you don't see, you don't really like see wind blowing. Mm-hmm. You don't see you don't see a single animal or bird or anything like, and it just it really just shows you. Because as soon as they they 
do their own snap and bring everybody back, the first thing you see is birds. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting in in these first scenes, you don't see any, any life really. Everything is just sort of dead and and gone. Mm -hmm. And it really shows you that Thanos wiped out because they say this in infinity war. They say it in Endgame that he wiped out half of all living creatures Mm -hmm. or living things. I forget exactly how they put it. So it wasn't just, intelligent life it was everything mm-hmm. yeah they they really kind of hit that home a little bit especially like you said later on we see birds come back and that's the first thing that you see uh and that yeah you you never actually see life in the movie before that outside of like the characters that you see walking on the screen mm-hmm. so very very good thought so we get reintroduced back to tony stark He's got his family. He's got life with Pepper Potts. They're married. They have a little house in the lake. They have a little girl. Um, and she's wearing the rescue helmet when when we are first mm-hmm. introduced to her, which is pretty cool. A little nod and uh, call out to the fans and a little thing of, you know, taste of things to come. What do you guys think of this scene when they go out to Tony's, Tony's little homestead out there, Steve? Uh, that was... Uh, that was classic uh, team, like a dramatic, dramatic tension there. Um, Tony, they need Tony on board with the t- you know with their plan, but Tony, Tony doesn't want to be on board because he doesn't. He, 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 time travels too too much to mess with, basically. So um, at you know at that point, we you know we he comes around later, of course. But yeah, you you, you could feel where Tony was coming from there that they can't undo what what was you know it's it's over just let it go forget about it and it, it needed to be there for the movie because i mean if you get everybody on board right away then you know it's just one last one less thing one less obstacle that you have so yeah um the scene made sense it was well done yeah one thing that i really liked about this scene was the fact that he said you know i'm honestly happy to see you guys so over that course of five years things have changed He's, he's, you know, over whatever he was, you know, feeling after he had gotten back. And the wounds have all healed at that point to me, I think. And I also think that he has been trying to figure out on his own how to undo this because that's his mentality, right? Everything's always on his shoulders. He's got to figure things out why things aren't working and why they are. So I think it's interesting. Uh, and I think I brought this out in the Discord when we were talking about it, Jared, that I think that he was working on this whole time travel thing before they came to him and that he was just kind of inspired by some of the things that were said during the interaction. What do you think of that? Um, I don't know if he was working on it before um, because I think he was very uh, – obviously he was torn up about what they lost. But ultimately because him and, him and Pepper have a little conversation where they say that they were lucky. And that a lot of other people were not um, because they still had each other. They had a daughter. You know, they had a they had a life after what happened. Um, So I don't know if he was working on it because he didn't want to lose what he had gained. Um, Because even just watching this, we don't know how much time passed between them going to Tony and then them finding Hulk and, and working on it themselves. It could have been months that had passed. And so after they came and visited him, he just started working on it kind of as a side thing. 
because they struck up curiosity. I don't I don't know if he was working on it before. Maybe, but but that wasn't really the vibe mm-hmm. that that I got. Yeah, same here. Because I I think there would be Tony didn't know anything about the quantum realm, so to to him there wouldn't really be a way to no nothing else was really introduced introduced at that at that point other than the time stone which Tony barely knew of that could you know when to his to was destroyed so there was nothing really else time travel that could be done until they came to him just then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it seems like he'd been thinking about it because he he thought about why it wouldn't work and he thought about the things that would stop it from working and he knew about you know the the Deutsch proposition and, and whatever else he said. And <laughs> when he says it to Pepper he says I finally figured it out. You know, so I feel like he's he's been trying to figure things out throughout the time. We just you know we're we're not directly told that, but I feel like he had mm-hmm. because you know he's he's been running all these tests, and I think I saw like a number two hundred and something uh, test number on that diagram there. But you know he sits down, and you don't just sit down and you know say like shit when you figure something out if you haven't been working on it for a while, right? Uh, yeah. Just the way that he delivered that line and everything felt like he'd been working on it for a little bit longer than a couple days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Once, once they came to him, he was definitely like even though he was made a, he was told them no. I think. His mind started working right away on a solution based on the knowledge they gave him. And he's a he's a super genius. So even even if he hadn't thought that maybe they could do time travel through the quantum realm, he knew and understood quantum physics for the most part, um, just because of who he is. Um, and I, I get the impression that between them visiting him and them trying time travel with Bruce on their own that we're not talking about days. We're talking about several months in between that of, of that happening. That was kind of the vibe I got the first time and the second time. It, it felt like that to me. But he may have been working on it before and maybe just decided, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that wasn't really the initial vibe that I got, but certainly possible. So you mentioned the big Bruce banner. Yeah, uh, you know the 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 brain that's bigger than Tony's, as it was mentioned. Uh, <laughs> what do you guys think of the Professor Hulk kind of representation here that we got, uh, Stephen? Ah, uh, uh, it's cool to see a, a merged Hulk uh, in the movies. Um, it's good to see Hulk back in the movie because we barely saw Hulk in Infinity War. I thought there might have been more of an arc for Hulk because. The way the movie interpretation was, was that it seemed, you know, when you're watching it in Infinity War, it seemed like Hulk was scared to come out because, you know, because of the beatdown he got from Thanos. So my my natural thinking was, okay, in in, in, in Endgame, he's going to have like a massive fight scene with Thanos. But I read an article that, you know, explained that it was, he wasn't, Scared, he just was sick of having to clean up all of the, you know, Bruce's problems. So that's why he never came out the rest of the movie. Um, but it's so that even though we didn't get that resolution, um, which was the expected resolution, I think this resolution was nice. A compromise between Banner and the Hulk, which um, they has been done in the comics. But yeah, it was. Uh, 
they didn't it didn't seem like it, it could be something that could happen in the movies but i like that they did it and uh yeah this this was they didn't really touch on one thing one aspect of of professor hulk from the comics professor hulk isn't as strong um as regular hulk because he can't he still he still gets better the stronger he gets, but because Banner is just didn't has not you know <laughs> has not more natural relax relaxation, he wouldn't get mm-hmm. as mad and hence not be as strong. That never seemed to be a factor in the movie, which makes sense because movies you know the movie has different rules because they didn't have to establish as much as the comics did. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I enjoyed it. It was I wouldn't say it was disappointing because I loved the movie so much. Um, but it would have been it would have been fun to see him Hulk smash one more time. But we did see um, Hulk smash. Yeah, the little dent in the car, and <laughs> <laughs> um, but I enjoyed. Uh, they really tied up everybody's story arc um, in this, and and Bruce's isn't. It's not in your face as much as a lot of the other characters, um, but between the first Avengers. And and then Ultron when he leaves and then Ragnarok and getting beaten up in in Infinity War, you see this war between Bruce and the Hulk. And it's just it's weighing on both of them. You know, Bruce hates losing control and causing destruction and mayhem. And the Hulk hates cleaning up messes and being used only when there's a fight. And. So it was nice to see him just sort of, you know what, I'm going to stop treating the Hulk like a disease. Instead, we're going to spend 18 months in this lab and and figure out a compromise Mm -hmm. and just kind of become one person rather than two separate personalities constantly at war with each other. Mm -hmm. So time travel, tests are going, Scott Lang gets pushed through time, or rather time gets pushed through Scott, and uh, we get some, some funny bits there. And then all of a sudden we see Tony Stark going ahead and uh, coming up, giving Cap his shield back. You know, the kind of the official burying of the hatchet from the whole Civil War events and um, Infinity War when he wasn't there. Giving that shield back is more of that sentimental, like, hey, we're good. Let's let's just go take care of business type thing. And mm-hmm. then we get the time heist scene. Oh, actually, no, before that. Uh, what do you guys think of, uh, what, what should we call him, the big... Thorbowski? <laughs> That's was my biggest issue with the movie. I did not like what they did with Thor. It's one like if he would because you mentioned um, uh, Jared that you know everybody got their their own arcs resolved. Everybody did for the most part, but it felt like Thor took a step backward because we saw like Thor. It felt. The way this movie treated Thor, it felt like Thor got all his character treatment done in Ragnarok. They're like, eh, Thor's good. We don't need to do anything else with him in this movie, so he can be the comic relief. Um, it felt like, yeah, just Thor was, like, they didn't take him seriously the whole the rest of the movie. Even though he was still Thor, he still had, you know, vast, vast powers, arguably the most powerful of them all. But, yeah, it felt like he was never considered the level he was from the previous movies because of his condition. Um, we'll, we'll get to a later scene where, yeah, the, the biggest thing I, issue I had with Thor, the, Thor's treatment. But, yeah, I wasn't happy because I assumed that, okay, it makes sense that this would happen to him, but you'd assume that he would work his way out of it. And 
I mean, he at the end of the movie he does, but the rest of the movie his contributions are relatively minimal, and I, I was ex- expecting more from like one of the uh, founding original Avengers. Mm-hmm. I um I enjoyed Thor in this, especially the second viewing. He he was the comic relief, but not not in the traditional sense. It wasn't that like they were just using him just to be funny. This was a very broken man mm-hmm. who felt like it was completely his fault for not um, beating Thanos. And I think him and his character arc losing all of his family and losing half of all living things and having the weight on his shoulder. He just he was the comic relief, but only because that was the only way he could cope. Mm-hmm. It was alcohol and jokes. He couldn't he couldn't face it or he didn't want to. And so he just kind of wallowed in his own sorrow and tried to make jokes to play light of the situation. But I don't I didn't feel like he was a comic relief just to be a comic relief. Mm-hmm. He was just a very broken individual and there's nothing and it wasn't until he had the conversation with his mom that he really um decided to start repairing himself mm-hmm. and i don't yeah thor didn't really get a resolution but that's because i don't think he's over yet um i think chris hemsworth signed a contract for a couple more movies so i think we're going to see more of thor i don't think oh, cool. i don't think this was the end yeah, it seems like he's going to, based on what we saw, jumping way ahead, but it seems like he'll be in the next Guardians movie, at least not, maybe yeah. not the whole movie, but at least for a part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I don't, he didn't get a resolution because I don't think he needs one yet. Right. So I want to touch on, on Thor as a whole here. So from the arc that we've seen with Thor, his hammer gets destroyed, you know, in, in Ragnarok. He... He has to come to terms with, you know, he's he doesn't need that crutch. He used that hammer as a crutch the entire time. He still misses that crutch, right? Even in um, uh, in Infinity War, he feels like he needs that crutch. He doesn't feel like he can be who he needs to be without a weapon of some sort. Uh, and we see also he loses his brother. He loses his best friend. He loses half of his uh, ship that was there with him in Asgard. And so he's had all these things happen to him in this span of time. So everything is uh-huh. going wrong for Thor. He wants to go and he wants to do something right. And so he, he wants to go kill Thanos because he's, he tells rocket. He has nothing left, you know, they're in an infinity war that they have. He's nothing left to lose. And so he's going at it with that mentality. And he's like, well, I've never, he's never faced me before. And so I'll, I'll take him down like everybody else I have. And he fails, right? You know, he, he goes and he, he throws a stormbreaker at him and, you know, he almost gets him, but he doesn't quite make it work. Uh, and so we see that pick up again here, you know, at the end of the movie, or at the, sorry, at the beginning of the movie. He's the one that just, like, cuts off the arm, then says, you know what, screw it, I'm cutting off your head, and ends it. And we see him later on, he's like, no, I'm the guy that, I'm the guy that took him down. Did anybody else take him down? No, it was me, I took him down. But deep inside, in his psyche, he knows that he's not worthy. He yeah. is he is not worthy in his own mind because he lost Molnir. He lost his people. He's not a king of anybody at this point. And it takes him going back to Thor the Dark World <laughs> and mm-hmm. seeing his mom talking to her and under understanding that, you know, 
he, yeah, he failed, but he's succeeded at being who he needs to be. And so the fact, to touch on what you, to bring this all for, full circle, to what you said, Jared, when he reaches out and Molnir comes to him, and that he's still worthy, mm-hmm. that's when he's like, okay, we can do this. Yeah. I love that whole arc and that scene. That was just really poetic and beautiful for what they did for the character. Like, yeah, he he was comic. You know, he was funny. Chris Hemsworth is a really funny guy. I feel him be funny. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like his, his arc was really well done and really well orchestrated by somebody that understands depression and how mm-hmm. that affects a person deeply. Uh, and what it takes to get through that. And, you know, you have the storytelling device of an, of a hammer that says, if he be worthy, he can hold it. <laughs> Being able to say that he summoned it and he can still hand it. And the look on his face when he gets it, yeah, it's just, that was really, really well done right there. Yeah, I, I think it was, and just one more note, I think it was, um, especially coming off of Ragnarok, it was... Um, an understandable reaction for him and his arc. Mm-hmm. And as a character, I, I appreciated that each of the core Avengers reacted to this differently. You know, they weren't all exactly the same, just, oh, we lost and this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony pretty much moved on for the most part. Cap was trying to help people move on. Natasha was just burying herself in her work. Um, Thor was, he was a very broken and depressed man who was drowning his sorrows in alcohol and, and, um, Fortnite and and (laughs) trying to joke his way out of his, his, um, out of his depression, which is a, is a real thing that people go through. They, there's a lot of people that are like that who have severe depression or uh, from failures or, or whether it's just a, a mental thing that, that. Uh, affects them and so they try to just play it off with jokes even though they're broken inside and um yeah so each each avenger they really had their own way of handling it and i appreciated that and before we get to the time heist just to touch on another broken man hawkeye he dealt with his pain a lot differently you know Mm -hmm. he's hunting down all these people and he says that you know everybody else got thanos you get me um, <laughs> any any thoughts quickly on on our Hawkeye situation? I think the only thought I had was like we we know what what brought Clint to that, but we don't know anything about who he's going after. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to say. You know, I mean, I guess they're going for like the oh, he's being he's more the Punisher than he is Hawkeye. Which, um, but we it felt like. That could have been again. Your, the movie's already three hours. You can't do any more than what they did. But it felt it would have been cool to see a little more of what drove Hawkeye to go after like these people. These, you know, making were these bad people? Did these people like actually deserve what they were getting in the in Clint's mind? Or you know, like just that just, that was like my biggest thing was um, there wasn't enough. Ronin development. You had to basically know. Uh, I already mentioned this. I think you have. You basically had to know what was going on with Ronin for to know what was happening. If you didn't, I mean, it still worked. But I mm-hmm. think some more time could have been devoted to that. I feel like it was for me at least. It was because I'm not super into who Ronin is and his character and story arc and whatever. But just from between Infinity War and Endgame, I felt like he was going after terrible people. Um, because in the earlier 
beginning of the movie when they're talking about Clint um, killing all those people in the cartel. Um, and now he's somewhere in Asia. I don't know if he's hunting down triads or some sort of, of gang. And he says it all in that one line about, you know, half of the world is gone. You know, well, why are all these good people gone? But you guys are still here. Um, so he's just, he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to finish the job that Thanos didn't. And then, and I'm not, I'm just going to kill everyone who deserves to be dead since I can't bring back those who deserve to be alive. Mm-hmm. So we move on to the time heist portion of the film where they go to 2012 to the Avengers and they go to 2014, I think it was, to Guardians of the Galaxy and then 2016, 2017 with uh, Vormir. So... You know, they go for all the stones. They're trying to get out, get them all in these different areas. Three of them are in New York. Um, then there's the the two that are in the timeline where Vormir has it and uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy has it. What do you guys think of the time heist in general here? Um, any particular thoughts that you had, Jared? Um, it, I liked the whole thing, especially watching it a second time. It was just it was fun seeing. Uh, especially 2012 when they go back to New York and just sort of seeing because <laughs> you see all these events that happened, but you didn't get to see in the original Avengers. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was cool being able to see like kind of the the side stuff that's happening, like because there's that that iconic um, scene in Avengers at the end where they're all standing over Loki. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, you see they some ending that and. And Tony's like, "All right, we can we can pose here all day, but you know, mm-hmm. let's get some work done." So it was it was a really fun um, moments of them going back, and you just you see all these little things. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. And then you saw the the folks from the Hydra cell that were coming up there to collect the staff, and then you mm-hmm. saw Robert Redford down the foyer, the secretary. Uh, that was a good call as well. Um, any other thoughts on the the different time heists, Steve? Uh, the time heist had uh, some of my favorite moments. I think it was cool that super cool that they worked in Captain America saying "Hail Hydra," which is <laughs> mm-hmm. a, a comic fan. You know how that broke the internet when he said that um, a few years ago. So yeah, working that into the movie was phenomenal. Um, the and then also that the time heist answered a question I didn't know I had when back in Infinity War. I was like. When you know Thanos is on the ship and Loki has the Loki has the tesseract, I was like, "Wait, when did Loki have the tesseract?" And now we find out how Loki had the tesseract was because of this very scene here, where um, you know Iron Tony's you know making his exit from the lobby with the tesseract, but then the kerfuffle, the whole kerfuffle happens, and the tesseract gets uh, scuttled over to Loki, who uses it to escape. Um, so yeah, that was like, oh wow, I never knew I had that question. But yeah, that's how we got the Tesseract. Cool. Um, there is one little mini issue that didn't come up, uh, like partly came up here. Oh, I loved seeing the Hulk slash Banner um, interact with um, the Ancient One. That mm-hmm. was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, I think that's all I mentioned for right now. Because yeah, I think the other thing I can get to a little later on when we go down the road here. So, yeah, I, oh, I just wanted to mention that Loki had the Tesseract because he picks it up before Ragnarok right. or when Asgard was destroyed. 
Um, Loki disappearing with the Tesseract right now is a different reality. It, it's not the same. Oh, wait. How did... Uh, yeah, I haven't seen... I, um, I haven't seen any of the older ones in a while, so... Oh, okay. Is there another movie where Loki got the Tesseract back? Yeah, this, right before Asgard was destroyed in Ragnarok, you see Loki grab the Tesseract before they get on the ship, which is right before they run into Thanos. Um, because oh. the, these these scenarios that happened where they travel back and, and they lose the Tesseract and Loki disappears with it, that's a branch in reality. And so that, that never originally happened. Right. Oh, okay. So anything that happened doesn't affect it chronologically that's already been established. Yeah, because everybody deals with reality how they perceive it or something like that. I don't know. Time. <laughs> Confusing. <laughs> there we um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of good moments. Um, I love the, the, the America's ass <laughs> thing. <laughs> that, was, that was really funny, and it was still funny the second time. Um, I, I like how... When Captain America is fighting himself, and he's like, "I can do this all day," and he's I just know. like, "I know, I know," like <laughs> I've said that several times. And mm-hmm. then how he knows his own weakness of saying that Bucky's alive, and and yeah, a lot of good moments, a lot of a lot of good callbacks. Mm-hmm. And I just I love it. It's I didn't catch this the first time, but when Ant Man is on um, Tony's shoulder. And he's like, all right, flick me. And, like, he just, like, gets into, like, this little crouch position. Mm-hmm. It's really funny. I, yeah. I love Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah, I love Ant-Man. Every, mo- every moment that he's in is good. Paul Rudd is, is such a good – he does such a good job. Oh, totally. So we haven't talked about the, the two more emotional bits here when they have to go back and actually get the test right from a, the 1970s. We also get our Stan Lee cameo there, a de-aged Stan Lee. My, my, I don't know if that was actually him – uh, recorded there probably not but uh i think i heard that was because he filmed several ahead so i've heard but i heard that that this is his last one but i believe i've never heard, i've heard nothing say that it wasn't him like you know they i believe it was actual footage of him okay. yeah i, I think because they they filmed they filmed infinity war and endgame at the exact same time so i think both of his scenes um would have been filmed i think it was actually him because all of the filming was done at the exact same time and so the last you know, year has just been editing and CGI. Right. So we get Tony's scene, or not sorry, um, Stanley's cameo there, but we also see the birthplace of Captain America. So uh, Cap is going back to get some some Pym particles. He runs into his old flame, Haley Atwell, uh, who is Agent Carter, and Tony runs into his dad. It has an awkward uh, hug later on, which is kind of funny. It's great. Uh, and then we also, at the same time, have the other emotional arc, forgetting the other stone, and over on Vormir. So, uh, Jared, any comments on either of these more emotional sides of the time heist? Um, it was cool seeing Tony be able to interact with his dad one more time, especially since he sort of never had a great relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but on, man... Vormir was that was that was heartbreaking the entire the entire thing with just um because as as soon as I found out that they were going to Vormir that I was like okay and one of them isn't coming back <laughs> like they're going to have to sacrifice and it wouldn't have worked with really any other characters unless it was like Tony and Cap mm-hmm. um because if 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 um Nebula and who's it? Is it Rowdy War Machine? Whatever. Mm-hmm. 
whatever his name is, I forget. Um, if they would have gone, yeah, you got it right. Yeah, Rody. If they would have gone, there would have been nothing to sacrifice because they mm-hmm. barely know each other. And and I like there was one um, moment where after they talked to Red Skull and Hawkeye's just sort of walking walking around, he says. He says, man, this is a lot different than Budapest. Mm-hmm. And that was a callback to the original Avengers when they're fighting all the aliens. And, and Natasha says, this reminds me of Budapest. And, and, and Clint says something to the effect of, me and you remember Budapest a lot differently. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a callback to their, their little banter in the first movie. Right. But this whole scene was just, I knew one of them were going to be gone down. And I was hoping it would be Natasha because I, I wanted Clint to get his family back Mm -hmm. and you know she was able to make that final sacrifice and and clear her ledger of of red Mm -hmm. um but i honestly just their little fight to see who would sacrifice themselves i i I didn't know who it was gonna and ultimately end up being it was very um a tense situation of seeing them go back and forth it's like okay Mm -hmm. who's gonna actually do it yeah the way that they played that out was was really well done because I mean then you see him you know tossing down the bow and running across and her seemingly down and you know like like you I was hoping that it wouldn't be Clint because he has the family that he's trying to get back and mm-hmm. she you know she can't have kids and she always calls herself a monster and you know she's been trying to work you know to get people back and this is her 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 chance to really do that and it was really well done that she jumps off grabs him puts the belt on him and he can't really escape from it. And then she kind of kicks herself off and, you know, sacrifices herself. Um, yeah. Steven, what'd you, what'd you think of, of widow's sacrifice there? Oh, that was, uh, um, it's actually, it was unexpected only because, um, you know, at the, you know, at this point in the movie, I'm just assuming, Oh, okay. Once they get everything assembled, they'll not only be able to bring back everyone they lost, but they'll be able to bring back, whoever has to die in this scene. So I was just like, oh, yeah, they'll be fine. But then once it settled in that um, there was there was no coming back from the death that happens in Boromir, then um, that's when I was like, oh, crap, uh, this is uh, this is heavy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but it makes perfect sense the way the scene played out that Natasha would make the sacrifice, knowing that Clint would try to make the sacrifice. Um, Despite, you know, despite his family, Clint, that just speaks to the, you know, to Hawkeye's characters, that despite his family, he would make that sacrifice in a heartbeat, um, (laughs) speaks volumes for him, and that Black Widow would not let him make that sacrifice, you know, speaks volumes for her. So that that scene was very well done. Um, It's like, you know, tragedy's coming. Oh, like uh, I didn't, like I mentioned, I didn't initially know, but once I figured it out, I was like, oh, crap. But yeah, (laughs) well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and then just Clint waking up in the, whatever that was inside the Soul Stone, or I don't know, <laughs> I don't know where, he, yeah, where he gets transported, and he just he has the Soul Stone, and you realize, you know, what he had to give up for it, and he just he just breaks down. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting parallel between what happens between Thanos and Gamora, and what happens between Natasha and Clint. Mm-hmm. So the time heist is over. They come back to the uh, present day or technically I guess it's future, whatever it is, um, to combine the stones. Tony was building a glove. He puts them all in there, has the nanotech 
you know, kind of Iron Man glove that he's ready to go. And they try to decide who's going to snap it. And basically, it's all gamma radiation, so one man was built for the job. Je- <laughs> um, Jared, what do you think of of this scene and what we see with the, the snap there? Um, like all the other ones, I, I enjoyed it. I, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a good scene. I just, I liked, I liked Thor's reaction where he's just kind of like pleading, you know, mm-hmm. please, I'm the strongest Avenger, you know, please just let me have this. He wants you know, to I need, again. Mm-hmm. I need to do this. I need to be the one to do the snap. Ultimately ends up being the Hulk because he's, he was created from gamma radiation so he can actually take it. Um, cause they saw what it did to Thanos and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was a, a good scene. And then you have the kind of the, the B stuff happening behind with Thanos coming through the future. I know mm-hmm. we kind of glossed over that from, right. uh, Gamora and Rhodey and everything, but, um, I, I was wondering how they would have their final showdown with Thanos. And I liked that he came to the future mm-hmm. with them. Yeah, it's interesting because him coming to the future obviously brings Gamora to the future, which you know gives <laughs> Zoe Saldana something to do now instead of just being dead uh, in the yeah. timeline. So that's kind of nice. Um, yeah. But I thought that it was it was cool that the Hulk gets this moment. You know, this is his big thing that he's got to do because, like you said, it is gamma radiation mostly. You know, it's mm-hmm. not all gamma radiation because. It, it does hurt him. It basically breaks his arm. Yeah, and, it's know, still it, immense power. Right. I mean, you saw what it did to Thanos, and Thanos is a you know titan being that's you know immensely powerful without the glove. And the Hulk is is you know hurt from this, and we see him the rest of the film being hurt, not able to be the mm-hmm. full Hulk. So this is definitely a pivotal choice that he makes, but it ultimately has to be him that does this. Um, yeah. So we see the snap happen. We see the phone call. You know, I think everybody's kind of like, yay, you know, in the theater that, that saw that his wife is calling and they know it's working. They see the, the birds coming back. And then at the same time, the Avengers complex is bombed by Thanos' ship. When you guys saw this, did you think that somebody would have died from this bombing, Steve? Um, I could, I, you could say, I, I didn't really think anybody would die, but it would have made sense if somebody would have. But yeah, it, it, uh, it felt like the attack from Iron Man 3, where Tony's like, hey, bad guys, here's where I live. <laughs> and then bad guys bomb where he lives, because he, he told him where he lives. But, you know, nobody's injured during it, so it had that feeling to it. Um... I just want to mention two quick things going back to the Hulk putting the glove on. Um, I do agree with what you said about, you know, working the Hulk being the person to do it. But I can make the argument that Thor should have been the one to do it. I think it would have immensely helped how, like, my perception of his, of the way of, like, getting Thor getting his redemption would have been putting on the glove. And also being as guardians, um, as guardians are considered immortals. So, like, I feel like an Asgardian might have had a better chance at, at sustaining less damage than um, even the Hulk. You know, I mean, again, the gamma radiation, which they kind of threw that in out of, like, no, absolutely nowhere, to my knowledge. Again, I don't—I've only seen the majority of the movies once, so I might be forgetting something. But I don't remember there ever being a mention of gamma radiation until that second, basically. Oh, hey, gamma radiation, I got to do it. 
Um, well, the Tesseract so was gamma radiation. That's why they brought him in oh, First okay. Avengers. In the First Avengers, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I could make the argument for, for Thor doing it. And, oh, the, the only negative aspect of the Cap and uh, Iron Man going back to the 70s to have to get those things was, or they didn't technically need to, because once you have the time stone, you can do whatever you want with time travel, hypothetically, but I, you could argue that they didn't know how to use the time stone enough to be able to time travel, so they're better off doing it the way they knew how to, but mm-hmm. that was the only other thing I wanted to chime in with about the, uh, with with that scene. I'm, I'm cool now. Did I answer your question? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, yeah, I did answer that. Yeah. So, yeah, with the the time stone is weird too because the only time we ever see the time stone used, they're not they're not reversing like all of time for everybody. It seems to be a very localized time travel mm-hmm. that w- whatever is in the immediately surrounding area gets reversed or forward in time. It's not like they can just use it to go all the way back in time and just change everything. I'm not sure how that works. Used that way, it's just we never needed to see it used. Yeah, like in Doctor Strange, you know, he did the time loop. He trapped Dormammu in the time loop, and then in Infinity War, Thanos just needed to go back to when the the stone was destroyed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So so he didn't need to go back any further than what they did in those movies. So, um, well, that was one of definitely see that limit applying, or you know, I could see it the other way too. Oh, and that was one of Tony's rules where he's like, okay, I want to bring back everyone who was gone, but I don't want to lose what I've gained. So yeah. they didn't want to just try to reverse time because then he would have lost his daughter and, and everything. Mm-hmm. So this is basically where the final battle kicks into gear, right? So we have Clint running around. He sees the Chitari. He grabs that glove and he's trying to get back out. But we also see Thor looking over and he sees Thanos just sitting there as Tony... And Cap coming, you know, the three Avengers that first Avengers movie fought against each other now are sitting <laughs> together, getting ready to fight Thanos properly this time, as Thor puts it. As he extends his arms out, calls his Molnir hammer and Stormbreaker, and also gets a neat little uh, Nordic looking beard do and hairdo. Like um, old man Thor. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> So this this kicks off this final battle, and um, you know I, I know we were we got so much tough to try to talk about here, but we're all ready at like an hour and a half recording. <laughs> so I'm gonna just toss it to you guys and talk about the final battle here, you know, from the be- from the start here and towards the end of it. Give me what you got. What do you think? We're gonna toss it to you first, Jared. Um. I was having a discussion with a friend yesterday about it, um, and he was he was talking about this battle with Thanos, and he's like, "Well, the the Avengers during Infinity War they kind of held their own against Thanos, and you know they did a pretty good job. You know, ultimately, they lost, but you know Thanos didn't seem like overpowered, and he had the gauntlet, and and now they're fighting him, and he doesn't have the gauntlet, and he seems to be kicking the crap out of him. And um, I was thinking. Because Thanos has that little speech about how, you know, thank you guys for showing me that those who are left will not be able to move on. Mm -hmm. And so I just need to start over completely. And so I think in Infinity War, he wasn't he wasn't trying to kill any of them. Mm -hmm. He knew he had the gauntlet. He knew he could just rip through them if he wanted. But he was just trying to get the stones. That was his mission. Nothing was personal. He was just like, you know what, just I'm just going to get you out of my way. I'm going to get what I need. I'm going to disappear. 
Because once he gets the time stone, he just goes to Earth. He doesn't finish them off or, or he try to kill them or anything. Um, but in this one, it was personal. He's like, you know what? You're trying to reverse what I already did. And so now I'm here to just kill you. Mm. And so I think he wasn't more powerful than he was with um, with the Infinity Gauntlet. But he was showing how strong he was just on his own now that he's pissed off. And, you know, he's like, OK, now I just need to get rid of you guys. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was interesting to just kind of watch them just get beat up. <laughs> yeah. Steve, what about you? What 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 stands out to you in this final fight? Um, the uh, Captain America lifting Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, so the you know the theater I was at when all the characters were making their returns, the crowd was cheering like crazy. Uh, hey, Black Panther's back! Woo! Spider Man's back! Woo! But the uh, the biggest cheer by far was when Captain America picked up Mjolnir, mm-hmm. uh, which that's a callback to um, Age of Ultron. They're doing the contest to see who can, you know, if anybody can pick up Mjolnir. And Captain America, he got it off the ground, but you know that was it. And that even surprised Thor. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, if there's uh, Captain America's lifted it in the comics numerous times. So if you're a comic reader, you knew it was coming eventually. But yeah, I think for the for the people who only watch the films, that I think that elicited. I think that's part of why it elicited the response because they saw him. Almost looked it before, but for him to, you know, wield it, you know, lift it and wield it very well was uh, was just super awesome. That was that was the highlight of the fight by far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, on that note, with Cap picking up Mjolnir, uh, there was a um, a tweet or an article or, or a quote from um, one of the directors where they're talking about how Cap almost picked it up, you know, and, and I, they asked the question of, you know, can pick it up? Or, you know, he can't pick it up, but he almost could or whatever. You know, does that mean he's not worthy? And the director basically just says, well, who says he isn't? And 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 then that in combination with Thor's response to him picking up where he's like, I knew it. And he's not – Thor wasn't saying I knew it like, you know, I knew you were worthy. It was kind of just like I knew you could pick it up. And so going back and watching Age of Ultron, it almost seems like as Cap is trying to pick it up, and he kind of makes it move. I think for him, that was good enough. He's like, I'm not going to take this from Thor. Like, I know that I'm worthy. I'm just going to let it go. So it was almost like Cap knew he could lift it, but he just he just let Thor have that instead of picking it up on his own. Mm-hmm. Or he could have done it this entire time. And to me, that's what I got from it. Because when Thor's like, I knew it. It wasn't just like, I knew you were worthy this whole time. It's like, I knew you could have picked it up, and you just never did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think something I read uh, back when Age of Ultron came out was that Cap could only budget just because of like internal doubts like Captain America had about himself at that mm-hmm. point in time. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I definitely, I, I see your point too, and I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could go either way, but that was exactly. that was my interpretation of it. Yeah, I but that was it, a great moment. Mm-hmm. I and, I didn't know who was going to pick up that Molnir at that point. I, I didn't know who it was at the beginning. I didn't know it could have been Tony, it could have been Cap, could have been Hulk. <laughs> I don't even know. Um, but seeing it come to Cap with the shield and Molnir there, that pose that he did, that got the crowd going in my theater as well. Quick side note. Superman like, did that once. They did. They did an Avengers DC, Avengers Justice League crossover 
Um, I, wanna, I forget, it was late 90s or early 2000s, and uh, there's a big splash page of Superman holding Mjolnir and Cap Shield at this, like, climactic battle towards the end of the book. <laughs> but yeah, the one, once Cap gets Mjolnir and he faces off one-to-one with Thanos and he's just kind of beating him up, like, that, the choreography of that is so, so good. Watching it the second time and, and just kind of really watching what happens and how he fights where he just runs and, and he he hits him in the chin with it and then he throws his shield behind him and throws the hammer at the shield mm-hmm. and it like the concussive force knocks Thanos forward and then he brings him back to himself and throws the shield again and then like just kind of does like this double whammy of, of using the shield and the hammer like together rather than just as separate things. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so my whole... This movie has a whole, whole bunch of scenes that I love. But I think my favorite shot in this whole movie comes after, you know, Thanos is kind of regaining his footing and he's, you know, knocked Cap to the ground and he's knocked Tony out. He's knocked Thor down. And he's called in his army and... Cap is standing there, tightens his his shield to, to <laughs> basically be a, a a splint for that fracture like he had in his arm, and you know you see him grimace you know because of that. So he's standing there, one man with a broken shield against this whole army, and you see that this just long shot of Cap versus everything. Yeah, that's a great. Uh, just a great picture. <laughs> yeah, that well, Easter egg from um, Infinity Gauntlet too, because Cap was the last person to stand against Thanos in the original battle with him in the Infinity Gauntlet. Captain America said to him, "As long as one man stands against you, you'll never be able to claim victory." Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into this part, because uh, I know where you're going, but when when they first start fighting Th- uh, Thanos. And there's a little callback to the original Avengers where Thor shoots the lightning at Iron Man and he, like, gets overpowered. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then in, and in this one, Tony's just like, all right, Thor, light me up. And mm-hmm. he, like, they use after they figured that out, they just they used it to do that super beam on Thanos. Mm-hmm. It was, that was good. I thought that was great. So we get this scene, this fantastic shot, paired with the music, which, again, is Portals from the score. <laughs> which, again, you heard earlier. <laughs> and just when I'm listening to this and watching this in a theater, the, the trumpets, the horns that they play, you see the lone soldier standing against this army, and then all hope seems to be lost, but Cap, he can do this all day. He stands up and is ready to face him down and face certain death. But then you remember the snap worked, and you hear something in Tony's... or in. Uh, in Cap's earpiece, you know. Can you hear me, Steve? On your left. The portal opens up and then it's just like the crowd erupts. They know it's they know what's happening. They know Doctor Strange is is coming and everybody comes and you hear the the drums that start just as people are starting to come through these portals and the hair on my arms right now is standing up just talking about it. It's just such this momentous, fantastic scene where all these characters are coming up they're all kind of having their moments you see spider-man is swinging in he takes off his his mask he never keeps his mask on by the way and he's <laughs> he's he's there you know cap is there scarlet witch is there uh rescue is there you know gwyneth paltrow in 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 the rescue armor 
everybody in the MCU pretty much is showing mm-hmm. up in this match. Even um, Howard the Duck. Yeah, even <laughs> Howard the Duck. He was there. Um, and, you know, Valkyrie and... and uh, it, It's just fantastic. Everybody is there. you got the army with Cap and the army with Thanos. And it's such a, a flip of the switch of what can happen when, you know, those portals start opening up and you start seeing everybody. And then we get it. We, we, we get the crescendo of the music, focuses in on Cap... He says those two words we've been waiting to hear for 11 years. <laughs> Avengers assemble. Oh, it was perfect. So good. It was it was so perfect because he didn't he didn't like it wasn't a battle cry. Mm-hmm. He didn't shout it as they were charging. It was just so like personal to him where he's just like Avengers and it gets really close to him and he just says assemble mm-hmm. it's just that this from the moment they start fighting thanos to the rest of this battle is just goosebumps the entire time mm-hmm. it was so good and the the on your left calling back to when he first meets falcon all of it so good do you think falcon was like hey dr strange can we can we appear on his left <laughs> just so i can say this <laughs> like <laughs> i want to finally be able to say this to cap <laughs> mm-hmm. uh so good so this battle, you you get a moment for pretty much everybody. They're they're kind of all together. They all have a moment where they can shine and and see things. And I love how Ant Man he's in his giant form because he just saved everybody from from the underneath the building, and he just punches down one of those big Chitari things at the beginning. <laughs> like, so good. But we get a great moment with Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch has Thanos in her clutches, whatever you want to call it. And just this goes to show you how powerful she is. You know, she goes up there. He said, she says that you took everything away from me. It's like, I don't even know who you are. And you will. You will. And just starts <laughs> taking off his armor, is crushing him pretty much. And then he decides to have his his ship fire down on them because otherwise he's Rain dead. fire. Right. So it, this scene just kind of shows the power that... Uh, Scarlet Witch really has because she is up there in that power skull, but we just never really mm-hmm. see her unleash until now. Yeah, Steve, what do you think about finally seeing Scarlet Witch unleashed? Her, the yeah, she is um, one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel uh, universe. She needs they they we saw her power in action back in the uh, House of M comic. Uh, she. She actually did her own version of the snap. She said no more mutants and wiped out like two thirds of the mutant population. So, yeah, getting to see the uh, her chaos magic in action in the movie that was that was that was totally bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I go ahead. I was just gonna to kind of focus on Thanos a little bit. I mean, it was cool to see how. I mean, she is really powerful and, and probably stronger than Thanos on a just a power versus power level. Um, but it was, it really just shows that Thanos is not, he is immensely strong and a, and a, a great warrior, but he's not invincible and he knows that and he's smart and he's a commander. Mm-hmm. And so he has this army backing him up because he knows that there are people out there that can beat him, but he's, he's smart in that way. Mm-hmm. I really like Thanos. I think he's a great character. Yeah. Speaking of people that can beat him. Enter Captain Marvel 
again in the movie. So just as the tides turn against them, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool how they, you know, they start just shooting up at the sky, and you're like, well, what could that be? Could that be Nick Fury coming in a helicarrier, or you know, what what do we see coming into the sky here? But it's Captain Marvel. Uh, coming in, doing her Captain Marvel thing, where she just kind of runs through a ship and blows it up. <laughs> um, we get her in, and she has a moment with Thanos where she's taking the glove away from him and um, keeping him from actually making the snap. Uh, do you think that Captain Marvel, had she not been you know, knocked with the Power Stone just out, uh, would have been able to take down Thanos? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, she's she uh, she could, yeah. I think that it was a really cool and, you know, move where he was they were fighting with the the gauntlet there and he just takes out the power stone and punches her yeah. with it. Well, uh, and you see I didn't notice it the first time, but watching it the second time, you see when he grabs the power stone and puts it in his hand, she gets like this scared look on her face like, "Oh, I mean, he just headbutt me, and, and it did nothing. But mm-hmm. <laughs> punching me with the Power Stone is going to hurt. Yeah, that's going to do some damage. Um, but bef- before they fight, and they're they're doing the whole wrestling with the, the gauntlet and trying to get it to the ugly brown van. Because mm-hmm. um, Infinity War, when, when Scarlet Witch is fighting the, I don't know her name, but the weird ugly alien chick. Proxima one of, Midnight, something like that. Sure. <laughs> the ugly girl. Um, it, you know, she's losing. And then, you know, she says you should have you should have brought friends or, or you're alone or whatever. And then, you know, behind her, you see um, uh, Natasha and she's like, oh, she's not alone. And it's her. And, and OK, Okoye, Okoye, we I've already forgot her name. Okoye. And there's a scene there's a scene like that. That's a callback to Infinity War where. Carol gets the gauntlet from Peter and he's like, oh, how are you going to get through all that? And Scarlet Witch comes down and she's like, don't worry. You know, she has help. She's not alone. And so you have this moment with all of the super powered women. It was a really good moment watching them kind of just blow through all these enemies. Mm-hmm. That got a yeah, nice roar from the audience too. Yeah. We finally got the instant kill mode with <laughs> Peter. My, I think my theater must have been filled with with Spider-Man fans because when Spider-Man first comes through the portal, that got almost as much cheer as when Cap got Mjolnir. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Everybody was like, yeah, Peter's back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we've come to the part that's hard for me to talk about because I've always been, for the last 11 years for sure, but even before that, Iron Man was always my guy in the comics you know, back in the day when we had the cartoons, whenever Iron Man showed up in the uh, Spider-Man cartoons and everything, I always loved Iron Man. He was always my guy back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Iron Man gets a moment here where, you know, he's, he sees the the signal from Doctor Strange, the number one, and, is, and he, you know at that point, Tony's, Tony's got to do what Tony's got to do. Um, he goes up, you know, kind of faces down Thanos a little bit, grabs the glove, he built a nanotech so that those stones could come off if needed, and they end up on him. He gets the gets the glove. You know, Thanos tries to say that he's inevitable. Nothing happens when he snaps, and then Tony retorts with, "I am Iron Man." <laughs> snaps his hands or his, his glove, and you know, all the bad guys go away, including Thanos. Gets dusted. 
But you know that that by doing that, Tony won't survive because that takes out. You saw what it did to, to Thanos. You, th- you saw what it did to Hulk. There's no way that Tony, as just a human, could survive that. Even with all the nanotech in the world trying to protect him, uh, he he does it. He saves everybody, all his friends. Uh, he puts other people ahead of himself here. Uh, you know, completing that Tony arc where he started out just being like the selfish kind of guy, but now he's gone full circle. He's had the moment with his dad. He's had the moment with the, his daughter. You know, he pre-recorded the message that he loves his girl three thousand. Um, he's putting everybody else of, above himself and doing this because you know it has to be him. It has to be him that snaps it. Um, and we see the moment you know when Rhodey just comes up there and he knows what's happened. He's he's been in wars he knows when 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 guys are have critical wounds he knows what's what's about to happen you know spider-man comes and he's like we did it mr stark you did it you know everything was is there and then pepper comes up and you know she asks friday you know what's going on and then life signs critical you know the, the theater you know, on all showings when when this happened was pin drop quiet right mm-hmm and Pepper gives the line, you know, you can rest now, Tony, and uh, we'll be okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's 11 years with this character. It's it, it's it's a fitting end, to be honest, but it's also an end that you just never want to see coming. But at the same time, it's just it couldn't happen any other way. And the way they did it was just so perfect. You know, mm-hmm. um, Jared, what what are your thoughts here? I mean, you really touched on everything, but because you, you get that line from Thanos at the beginning and then now about him being inevitable. And the second time viewing, this part seems so much slower with watching him do the snap. And then seeing Tony standing there with his arm up and you see the infinity stones just kind of crawl up his arm and he says it so slow, like he's just sort of accepting the fact that he's about to win the war from it for everybody and sacrifice himself because he just because Thanos says, I am inevitable. And then Tony stares him down and says, well, I am Iron Man. And he says it so slow, like just so pronounced and you know that being the first words he said when he finally accepted the fact that he was an iron man in the first movie and those being his last words because he doesn't say i mean there's the recorded message but he does not say anything after that he doesn't talk or even try to speak while he's dying like those are his last words this is his legacy that he is leaving behind that he is iron man he started this all and now he's ending it and it was so good. A lot of tears mm-hmm. <laughs> shed watching this moment. I I liked I liked the characters that they chose to um, kind of see him right before he died. It wasn't like all of these people came up trying to comfort him. It was it was his best friend Rhodey. It was his you know basically adopted son Peter. It was his wife and the love of his life, Pepper, and everyone else is just respectfully standing back. 
Mm-hmm. And it was it was such a good scene. Obviously heartbreaking and sad, and it's horrible to have him gone. But it was a very good. He was finally able to rest. He got rid of the evil that he was trying to protect. All that he was trying to fight against all these years. So he got he got what he wanted to get, even though he had to sacrifice himself. Mm-hmm. And Cap was when it showed Cap kind of standing there looking at him. You know, <laughs> he had the. Uh... The tearful eyes uh, mm-hmm. as well. What do you, what do you remember? I remember seeing that too. Steve, what'd you think? Oh, yeah, I agree with you guys a thousand percent, three thousand <laughs> percent. Um, so we we obviously get the the sacrifice here of Tony, and then we kind of get this narrated monologue as it goes through to see what you know the things that have being back to normal kind of when people have reunited with. Uh, you know, Ant-Man's reunited with his girlfriend, and we have um, uh, Black Panther reunited with his family, and we have all these other reunitings happening. Um, and then we see kind of like the the funeral scene. You know, it goes through, and we we see Pepper put the uh, the wreath down there where it says proof that Tony Stark had a heart, you know, a callback again <laughs> to that first Iron Man movie. And just very poetic, very, you know, very... I mean, this whole thing is a poetry in motion. Uh, great callbacks to the, to the different movies there. And then we mm-hmm. see the whole MCU basically represented with the different movies. They're kind of paired together as everybody's respectfully just watching the, the procession happen. And um goes back to our, our one shot of Nick Fury in the movie uh, being there as well. And then we get Happy. You know, Happy Hogan's back in uh, talking with Morgan. And she says that she wants cheeseburgers. And that, that's again another callback to Iron Man, where you know when he's back, all that he wants is cheeseburgers. After he yeah. gets rescued from the desert, um, says the same thing to her as he says to Tony: "Get you all the cheeseburgers you want." Mm-hmm. Uh, another just great callback there, and you know it cuts to cuts to them watching him kind of give his his little will and testament type thing. Just the private family there with Rhodey and you know his his family and. You know, he, he ends it with, I love you 3,000, you know, to his daughter. And it's just so perfect and so just, ah, I love Tony Stark. I can't, I can't deny him. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> hard to see him go. And, but he, the way he went out was, was, was perfect. Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm reading too much into this, but earlier in the movie when, when Tony figures out time travel and everything, and he's talking to Pepper and he says, he says, you know, I could just put this in a, in a, a safety box and put it in the bottom of the lake. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, he was deciding or he was trying to decide if he could just live with not trying and just sinking this to the bottom of the lake. And then, and then them pushing, you know, his, his little, um, first iron man power source or whatever you call it out into the lake that it was the same lake you know he decided to do the greater good i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into it but i felt like it was an interesting parallel where it's like instead of tony putting putting this this time travel stuff into the lake instead he's the one that's in the lake but he accomplished what he set out to do Mm -hmm. i agree so we move on into really the. I got a really quick funeral note. I would have liked to have seen Agent Coulson there. 
I feel like that would have been the perfect time to bring him back into the movie, just for a brief cameo. I, think, I get why, for multiple reasons, he wasn't there, but I, I would have liked to have seen Agent Coulson at the funeral. I think he's dead again. In, yeah, I think in he's Canada. actually... I haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a while. Yeah, I think he... I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in a while, but I think I heard that he died yeah, in that that's show, right. okay. which Thank would have you. been before this happening, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the other quick funeral note, um, the kid, was there a kid that you guys saw that were like, hey, who's that kid? Yeah, the kid from uh-huh. Iron Man 3. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it took me a second when I saw it in the theater, but then I was like, oh, yeah, that's the kid from Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was confused by that, and then I was talking with my wife on the way home, and I was like, oh, wait, I think that was the kid from Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was cool, seeing everybody that Tony has affected all standing there, and they were all sort of like, <laughs> they were all in in order of how much they, he affected them. Mm-hmm. So... Steve Rogers, he is tasked with taking the stones back and uh, also Molnir back, so that way Thor's timeline is still the same. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this scene is, is so when he says goodbye to Bucky before he leaves, Bucky knows that he's not coming back. Bucky yeah. knows that he's staying, he's going to go get the girl. Um, mm-hmm. Just the fact that, you know, Falcon's like, hey, I'll come with you, you know, but Bucky just gives him a hug and just says, I'm going to miss you, buddy. You know, he, he, he knows, and he's, he's happy with the decision that he's made uh, to go back there. And in fact, when he sees him, you know, he's, he sees him, he's not surprised. And he just says, hey, he's over there. Right. Mm -hmm. What'd you guys think of, of the, the, the end of Captain America's story and really the end of the movie, Steve? It was yeah, it was good to see Cap and Peggy get back together. Get together. Uh, you do have to kind of forget though that Cap dated Peggy's niece, so um, you have to kind of just gloss over that. But um, yeah, it was good to see Cap and Peggy get back together again. So uh, and yeah, yeah, you get to see because Cap's never got to live a full life. So you, it's good to see Captain America finally get to. Uh, yeah, just age naturally and have you know have things for himself. So yeah, it was it was super awesome. And that he passed the shield on to uh, to Sam, uh, mm-hmm. knowing. Um, I think there was some debate going into the movie as to who would be the next Captain America. Would it be Bucky? Would it be Sam? Both are great choices, and I think you couldn't have gone wrong. But I think it's super cool having uh, Sam be the next Captain America. Mm-hmm. Jared, what are your thoughts on? The end of Captain America. Fitting, and he deserves it. He got mm-hmm. a chance to be with the one that he lost and um, just kind of live a life free of trying to save everybody. And just. And it was interesting that they kind of confirmed that he is not like an immortal person with a super serum. <laughs> you know, he ages. He probably ages slower than most people, but he still ages because we don't. We don't know how far, because um, Stephen, you brought up an interest. Um, Stephen, Steve, Steve, they're always fine. Steve, <laughs> all right, Steve. Um, you you mentioned that you know he dated Peggy Carter's was it daughter or niece or, um, and I, and I wonder because you know they established that all these branching realities 
And so I don't I don't think that Steve is related to her. I think that when he goes back and he decides to stay there, it's an alternate reality. And so as he lives his life and he becomes old and I'm assuming that Peggy probably already passed away at this point, he decides to come back to this reality to finish off his days and, and give the shield to um, Falcon. So I don't think there's any weird incest going on. That's, that's well, no, not, no, definitely not an incest thing. It's just like a, <laughs> uh, it's it's Cap being a pimp, basically. Yeah. Which yeah, go Cap. Yeah, but I because I, I you know I think I think in the the previous reality, Peggy gets married to somebody else and and has this family. But then in this new reality that Cap jumps into, you know, she's only ever been with Cap. Um, but it, it was a very fitting end, especially with the final scene of of him dancing with her in their house. Mm-hmm. Good moment. Mm-hmm. Good moment to to close the the film on. He finally got that last dance or that mm-hmm. dance mm-hmm. With, with the girl. Um, one thing Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, well, well, I forgot we you know Thor passes <laughs> on the mantle and kind of. Uh, we we get the uh, the scene. Spider Man sees Ned again, or his name's not even yeah. Ned, but mm-hmm. they, he's basically Genki from the comics. But yeah, Spider Man. There's a re- little reunion reunion there. That's not even a word, but it's, I'm using it. <laughs> reunion. Reunion. <laughs> reunion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so with with that, I'm thinking that they were both snapped away because they didn't age a day either of them. Right. Yeah, it was confirmed that pretty much everyone associated with Peter Parker got snapped. So that's how they're all the same age in in Far From Home, which uh, kind of makes I mean, I'm a Spider-Man fan, so I'm obviously super excited from Far From Home. Um, But it makes me much more interested in the movie and that I I really hope that they don't gloss over Peter Parker's loss of of Tony Stark and that I I hope that really affects him as as a person and as a as a, a hero trying to live his life in a world without Iron Man mm-hmm. and after being dead. I really thought that Tony would have been the one that told Peter with great power becomes a great responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even sure there's an Uncle Ben in this in in this uh in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> oh there um, is. Uh yeah, he so mentioned it briefly. Course, and, but... Yeah, if you look in the um oh no it was I think it was his parents briefcase monogrammed the on the trailer for homecoming but yeah he was mentioned briefly um in homecoming um and thor so thor kind of passes the mantle of king on to um valkyrie and he leaves or he has a ride i should say uh and he is not the leader he's he's left that to to quail as he calls him (laughs) and uh he gets that line he's like everybody knows who the leader is and goes like it's me there's like of course of course yes (laughs) You, of course, of course. <laughs> just a really well delivered line from from Hemsworth there um, mm-hmm. but before I toss it to you guys for final thoughts I loved in the movie how it ended with the credit card the cards you know kind of scenes you know we even oh, got mm-hmm. one for Natalie Portman who was not in this movie really I mean it was like a deleted scene from Thor the Dark World um, yeah but we got the cards from everybody but then we got the signature cards from the original Avengers and how the music kicked up again for them when they were on the screen you know, in my viewings, the first one, they clapped for the original Avengers and they clapped, you know, the loudest for, for Tony, for Robert Downey Jr.'s card when it was up there. Um, 
So I really liked that. I thought that was a really cool way to do it. And then at the very end, there was no stinger, but it was a poetry moment again. You know, calling back to 11 years ago, you just heard the audio clip of Steve, or Steve, Tony, um, hammering out his first Iron Man suit. You know, the beginning of the MCU, the beginning of all this uh, closed out endgame. Just a poetic circle. It was really well done. So uh, I'll toss it to you guys first for your final thoughts on the movie. So, Steve, let's go to you. Um, quick th- final thoughts. The Guardians timeline I'm very curious about now because um, Nebula from the past got killed during the battle by future Nebula. So what exactly happens to the Guardians um, post Every you know, post this, um, I don't. I think there, there's easy enough ways to explain that it didn't mess up anything in the timeline. And a quick question for you guys, because uh, I'm drawing a blank. Was Gamora with? Did she stick around? Was she with the the Guardians? No. In on the ship? No. Okay. No, you see, you see Peter searching for her because he knows she's somewhere. But you know, she does. She doesn't really belong in this timeline so she's probably off trying to figure out what she's supposed to do next she doesn't know any of those people other than nebula and she doesn't have that relationship with nebula because she's past gamora so they haven't rekindled the relationship yet cool okay yeah thanks for the refresher um but yeah that was a very good movie um um Oh, I'm going to do a quick call back to an article I wrote for That's Entertaining back in March. I wrote about how the Freeform Cinematic Universe saves the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, my girl, Mona Vanderwall from Pretty Little Liars, she ends up getting the gauntlet. And what she did was she made she put the rat in position to free Scott Lang from the quantum realm. <laughs> so that's how Scott gets out and sets everything in motion. So <laughs> I can officially say that now that the movie's out. Nice. <laughs> and Steve, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Instagram um, and Twitter, with the same name, at Steve Waldinger, S-T-E-V-E-W-A-L-D-I-N-G-E-R. And then you can see other uh, cool things that I do, like my live improvised comics. Um, I, I mention those on both Instagram and Twitter. And if I don't have it on Twitter, I'll put it on there. And um, I host a podcast about the first episodes of TV shows, the episode one podcast. Nate's been a guest before. If you want to go back and listen to our Punisher episode, mm-hmm. um, that's at episode one pod. Um, and, yeah, I write uh, once a month for That's Entertaining.net, which is an awesome site and an awesome podcast. Thank you again for joining, sir. Oh, thank you as always. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Jared, final thoughts, and where can people find you? Um like any movie Endgame is not a perfect movie because no movie can be perfect but to me it was as close as you could possibly get um after 11 years of build up this movie did the impossible in closing it out in such a good way that it lived up to every ounce of hype that it had and I mean, I'm going to watch it a million more times. <laughs> 14 million, it, you're trying to catch up to Dr. Strange. <laughs> yeah, it, every, everything about it I love. 
and uh, so many scenes in this movie that were just it, there was a lot of fan service but every every moment was it was it nothing felt shoehorned or forced it was just here's what you guys deserve for sticking with us for 11 years and i i think they did a such a good job of closing everything out being respectful to not only the source material but as well as the other was it like 25 movies hmm. um even bringing in thor the dark world which isn't very a high isn't a very highly regarded movie um just giving everything it's it's due and it's um, what it deserves, and they tied it up so well. Um, as far as where you can find me, um, I don't use Instagram, but I am on Twitter. Um, my it is at highly intelligent, which is highly end like from Zelda, H Y L I A N, and then intelligent without the in part, all one word. Thank you as well for coming to join us this this episode sir appreciate it it was fun thanks for having me and for my final thoughts man this movie um could have been another three hours long (laughs) as far as i'm concerned because it was it was so good um i loved it it was you know as you said jared no movie is perfect except inception pretty well is perfect um this movie is probably number two for me in the MCU. Iron Man, the original Iron Man, is still probably number one. I love that movie. Um, Iron Man's always been my guy, and it's kind of fitting, right, for the beginning of the MCU and the end of Iron Man's story to be number one and number two. Um, but this movie is just, it has it all. Uh, it has the fantastic mu- music from Alan Silvestri. It was was fan- so good, it's really fantastic. Um, it has the great emotional sequences. It has comedy still. It has um, great cinematography. The CG was really spot on. I didn't notice any issues with the CG in this movie. It was just really well done, and that kind of lends to why it's done two billion so far in the box office. You know, this is now the number two all-time earning movie, um, which is crazy. Only being out for ten days. And maybe it'll be number one by the by the time it's all said and done. There's a pretty good shot. But I feel like this movie, you know, there's... It was an impossible task to bring all these characters in to, to resolve Infinity War, to close out the Thanos storyline that's been brewing for all this time, and just the, the magnitude of all the storylines that have been kind of branching and coming back into each other now. But the Russo brothers did it. You know, it just... The Marvel team that understands how these movies need to ebb and flow back into each other, they get it. And that's what I love about the MCU. That's what I love about these movies is that, yeah, it's kind of like a, uh, a season of a TV show, right? Where you have all these parts that are working into each other and kind of come to the series finale and that's where we are, you know. The MCU will continue on. We got Spider-Man here in a couple months, but you know, to, the originals are kind of done. You know, Cap's done, Tony's done, uh, Thor is doing his own thing for a little bit, and we've we've lost some of the characters that we've come to know along the way. And I, I just love how the fact that it's all, it worked 
and it, like you said, it didn't feel forced. It didn't feel shoehorned. And they, they did time travel in a way that, you know, wasn't too obtuse. And just told a really, really good story. You know, from if you were a fan of the Marvel Universe from 2008 until now, I, I, I think this did you right. I think that you would be happy with, with what you get on the screen. So... That's my final thoughts. I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really good. I think you should go to the theater and see it if you haven't seen it already. Uh, go see it again because the second time is better, in my opinion, because you can just kind of sit back and let the story unfold and kind of catch things that you've missed before. Um, just really well done. So as far as where you can find me, you can find me on Twitter at Voiced by Nathan. That's where I've been for the past little bit now. I don't know. A while. And then you can also find the show at Entertaining Pod. So again, Stephen, Jared, thank you for joining me as we discussed uh, the latest entry into the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Avengers Endgame. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, Marvel fans alike, true believers, we hope that you have been entertained. <laughs>